Hello there. Well, for the first day of March has felt anything but spring-like, hasn't it? In fact, it's been miserable out there with a significant wind chill and, yes, still widespread snow. In fact, we've got weather warnings remaining in force for heavy snow and blizzards and another red warning. If you take a look at where the snow has been falling, it's this significant snow that's pushing into the southwest that could be the real issue. But we still got further snow showers piling in off the east coast affecting Scotland. Yes, we've lost the highest red warning, but nevertheless, Amber warnings remain in force for eastern Scotland. Be prepared for some disruption. A similar story for Northern Ireland as well. We've got amber weather warnings into South Wales and the southwest, but we have a red top tier. That means take action. Considering like what the last week's been like, I thought we could sort of mm. start by talking about the weather. Because mm. yeah. that's essentially what the performance you did hinged mm -hmm. around. And then it's kind yeah. of quite weirdly come to <laughs> come to be true. <laughs> yeah. I guess actually I didn't even I feel like I haven't even thought about the recent weather mm. crisis in relation to what we were doing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess this f feeling of being quite cut off, um, like me and my fatmate were just sitting in our kitchen the whole day, just going gradually a little bit crazy on our laptops, trying to just like see out the window. Can I go out now? No. Can I go out now? Still, just kind of like time has stopped for a bit. Yeah, or like even three days, you can go a bit insane mm. without seeing anyone else or even just going to Tesco's and there being nothing but Easter eggs and crisps. <laughs> <laughs> on offer it's like people just ripping into packaging you feel like you're in a film <laughs> and you kind of like start playing that part mm. <laughs> I, I, I felt yeah. myself kind of like oh it's good at survival skills um, and I guess in the performance we did we kind of imagined these people had been mm. you know together without anyone else for years yeah they're so. drifting like very much removed from the rest of the world um, but still kind of trying to relate to it through the tool of broadcasting mm. or um, maybe also embracing the weather as a sort of common ground between the people. I think I was actually revisiting White Noise uh, recently and there's a scene there. Uh, so the guy is uh, trying to learn German and it turns out that his teacher of German is also a meteorolo meteorology. Meteorologist. Meteorologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a meteorology teacher, and he says that he talks about how um, pretty much just like having the weather as a conversation topic saved him from a uh, personal breakdown. <laughs> just because it's always something that you can like open your mouth about, and you know you can't really deny it. Whatever other differences you might have or struggles in your personal life, you'll still always have this sort of bridge <laughs> that you can talk to anyone about. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, and maybe that, maybe that was an interesting device that we used to start the collaboration. Mm. Something that everyone could talk about the weather. <laughs> That's nearly, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, how can we turn this quite dull thing yeah. into something that's actually, you know, has its, it belongs in its own world and is quite chaotic and mm. fluid and a bit crazy maybe or something. Yeah. I don't know. Because on the other hand, like sometimes, you know, when someone brings up the weather and you just think, oh, God, is the, is the chat this bad? Is, is this on me? Is <laughs> so we thought we'd do a whole exhibition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I suppose, like, the, the sort of safe thing about the weather is that, you know, the weather in Britain is never really that, um, it's never that bad. No. Really. And... And so I guess the languages that surround that are kind of have that same sort of like neutrality that's kind of comforting. But then I guess what's kind of interesting about the weather recently and kind of the sort of um, speculative uh, situation that mm -hmm. the performers find them in in your work is is that it that kind of language sort of breaks down in really, really weird ways. Mm. Um, I was watching this thing um, that there's a really good uh, Vox sort of uh, vlog series called Strike Through and they're mm. talking about the way in which um, there's one that talks about the way in which uh, sort of news news um, presenters 
uh, normalizing basically Trump's like psychotic yeah. and really dangerous behavior through mm-hmm. through the fact that they have this kind of um, style that they need to keep up of like calm neutrality and objectivity yeah. when really the situation has moved way beyond that. God, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought we could sort of start to pick apart that that language, which was something that was really central within your your performance. Yeah, totally. So I would have thought that in sort of regular weather chat, there's quite a lot of emotionality, and people sort of uh, you can really gauge how a person's day has gone or how they're feeling about certain things through how they relate to the weather. So it's like you've got the data that is the weather, and then on the basis of their reaction, you can sort of analyze, you know, the the data that you don't. As of as of yet, have which is their kind of emotional state. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was again different in the performance and yeah. this notion of routine. Well, just talking about the way um, news presenters present information, I think like one thing that I was thinking about when we started talking about the collaboration and what it was going to be about yeah. was a program called Judge Janine. I don't know if you know about it. It's Fox I News. I can imagine what it is, and it's actually. Very, it's n- it's very aggressive in the way she delivers her news, and she's very pro-Trump, pro, pro all this kind of crap, obviously. And um, she has a very mesmeric way of giving you that information, where she stares down the camera, and it's like her lips just go mental. You know, she just like mouths all the words. And it's completely shattering everything mm. that you're used to seeing <laughs> with a news presenter, which is like what you were saying, this kind of calm, like, you know, normalising. Even if like the, you're talking about a storm, the news presenter will be very composed, very da, da, da. So I think those two things we were interested in looking at, um, starting the, starting the, the mm. performance with this kind of like, you know, calm, collected um, weather f- um, shipping forecast, and then how that could change and become slightly more exaggerated or slightly more mm. um, edited. I mean, I think we also stand up, start up with uh, an expanded notion of broadcasting. So we yeah. weren't uh, sure that the focus is going to be on on the weather, on the shipping forecast mm-hmm. from the from the very start. So it could have been more of a quiz type situation. But I think it is, especially if you're trying to like, navigate socio-political context, it'll be kind of impossible to do it using the actual subject matter. Mm. So it made more sense to approach it in a more kind of meta way through the weather. Mm. So you're talking about something else, but using it as a device. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, what we did was we just kind of got lots of different aspects, didn't we? And then tried to just jam them together and Mm -hmm. see... (laughs) how that would be like when we were coming up with it yeah so it was like nitpicking and it didn't only come from media and broadcasting and all that Mm. kind of stuff um but just like lots of disparate elements and like i think there was one um workshop we were doing where we kind of decided it should be on a cruise ship Mm. and that was a big breakthrough well that was sort of after like already having uh started the construction yeah i think and we just sort of realised, I think... Looking at this, yeah, yeah. the set kind of developed, didn't it, quite slowly? Yeah, yeah. And I think it sort of seeped into our consciousness that actually it sort of looks a bit like a ship. And because Tom was in Brazil uh, when we first Started. submitted the proposal, etc. Yeah. Um, and like, you travelled there on this cruise ship. Yeah. And then we sort of went down this avenue of exploring... Um, situations of emergency uh, for example a fire drill and he said he told me this incredible story about how there was a fire drill on the cruise ship yeah and I just thought okay this, this got to be in it yeah it was like we'd come up with like this whole I guess this like newsreader relationship in a studio and that's what we had and then we got mm. this secondhand tv set like basically donated to us didn't we yeah and we kind of reconfigured it and it felt really like a boat and then we were like, mm. okay, this is perfect. They're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. And they're just broadcasting all this stuff we've been thinking about. And then, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, when I went to Brazil, I went on a cruise ship. And I was like, what? <laughs> mm. We need to, like, use some of this in the, in the performance. Yeah. And there was one day where we were all eating lunch. And uh, 
the alarm went off and I remember looking out. Wait, we're on the cruise ship. On the cruise ship, yeah, yeah. looking out the window and just thinking, oh, look, this beautiful, you know, like Atlantic Ocean, no clouds in the sky, blue sky, beautiful, isn't it? And this massive cloud comes along. I was thinking, that's way too low to be a cloud. And it's just coming from the front of the ship and the ship's on fire. <laughs> and it's just like, not what you'd expect at mm. all. <laughs> and we all got evacuated into a club, which was on the ship as well, which was crazy as well. So it was like really surreal. Mm. And then I think when, when we saw the TV studio set and we were thinking, oh, this could be a boat. How can we make this quite surreal? And Mm. you know, add layers to the piece. I think that's what it was as well, wasn't it? Well, sort of like the layers were, were already in place because another thing that came out of was um, like our investigation into crisis mm. and uh, we were developing all these uh, sort of fire prevention routines and in, a, in an earlier rendition of the performance, we, uh, like as our stage exit, we uh, did a drop and roll routine. So, you know, when, you're, when your clothes are on fire, uh, there's yeah. like a song attached to it as well. <laughs> Um, yes, I think then as a kind of opposing sort of element to, to fire that the water sort of came in. So it's almost like just this notion of crisis translated from um, like it went back and forth between an actual material crisis such as a fire emergency hmm. to a crisis, for example, in the form of these characters being so locked in their cruise ship routine that they're actually scared of reaching land, which would break their routine. Mm -hmm. to um, broader notions of crisis, um, which are inherent in like, the idea of reporting. Mm -hmm. Whenever we look at the news, it, it is being hammered like down our, down mm -hmm. our throats. Or just like breaking uh, news, that whole situations. thing. Like it's coming across really fast with um, like a big headline going across the bottom of the screen or whatever. And it's like, this is important. You've got to listen. It's a crisis mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I guess that was another facet of it. Yeah, how to translate this itself. urgency yeah. and how it can become normalised through everyday life. For example, um, like what really stuck with me from the script that we eventually came up with was this routine that the characters settle into. Um, so they, they have breakfast, they have their glass of orange juice or a stale croissant, and then they look at the sea and uh, they're trying to gauge whether they can see the, the land yet, this thin strip of land on the horizon and how it keeps going. So it's sort of like creeping into their everyday, this, this kind of fear, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And when I was on the cruise ship going to Brazil, I mean, this sounds very lavish, but it was literally, I mean, really cheap. And I mm. thought I was going to be on a cargo ship. Yeah. <laughs> and I turned up and I was looking for the cargo ship and I was like, fuck, this is going to be like the worst 10 days of my life. <laughs> um, and then, the guy's like, no, this is your ship. And it's like this really sexy, shiny, like massive ship. And I'm like, what? And then we go on it and I'm in shock for three days because I thought, I didn't realise I was going to have a holiday yeah. <laughs> on this journey. <laughs> so like, I very slowly like get used to the idea of I can go into the pool, I can ask for a drink and get it or like, like whatever. It's quite weird. And then um, got into a routine like you were yeah. saying. And I think that, that routine kind of came from this like false reality that you're in mm. when you're on it. And I guess quite a limited reality as well. Very. I mean, it's you really like, you, you go to the gym before dinner, you have dinner. You go to the cocktail bar after dinner, you have your cocktail, you have a coffee. No, 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 no. You watch the onboard entertainment, you go to bed, you get up, you have breakfast, no, 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 whatever mm. it is. Um, and there's no internet or anything, so you're just kind of like really mining everything around you yeah. <laughs> to kind of keep yourself engaged. Um, and then when we arrived, just that thin strip of land really frightened everyone on the boat because it was like alien. It was like, mm. God, we've actually, we're going to have to leave this uh -huh. kind of weird life that we've all built for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just shattering. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's that, like the feeling of um, yeah, the real world kind of coming back to you. Yeah. It's like, I guess in a minor way, it's like if you have a week off work mm. or whatever where you don't have anything to do and it's... Yeah. That feeling of being ha having to be rehabilitated back into the world again is it's, it, in it a was... really boring way, quite dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it was just like really weird. And then we all got off the boat, of course, and we were like, whoa, that was weird. And then just got on with life. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a little blip suddenly. And... It's almost similar now to the snow melting. Uh, I was just uh -huh. kind of thinking today, is it, is it actually over? Is it going to come back? It's, you can see it kind of receding <laughs> yeah. down the gutters and... Yeah. 
Mm. Have you been on a cruise ship before or no? I'd highly recommend this cruise. Um, Paul Mantor. I don't think I, I get to... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it would do something strange to my psychology. Yeah, well, it did to me. (laughs) I quite enjoyed it. Whether I want want or need that experience. Right. Well, I actually went to the Shetland uh, maybe just over a month ago, and uh, the ferry journey took 20 hours. Mm. So I was kind of thinking I had like a micro uh, sort of version of that experience. Mm -hmm. And was it really rocky, the one one you were on? No, there was one rocky night. But I mean, apart from that, it was just no land, 360 degrees, and just very gentle Atlantic Ocean. Mm. And it was weird. We were in the middle of the bloody Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, And I thought it was going to be mental, but it wasn't. Because we were like being thrown between the two walls of the ship. Oh. Like in in the dining area, like chairs were flying around. People were trying to eat, (laughs) like all the crockery breaking on the floor. Just people weren't allowed to stand up at one point and just kind of trying to hold onto like the chains in the walls. Um, And then we got to the Shetland and it was really windy. And this guy who was there as well, who was from Trieste in Italy, told us about this wind called uh, the Bora, which is, uh, it's almost uh, like 160 miles per hour. So incredibly fast. And they have those chains installed down the sides of the building, like the main buildings in the city. Yeah, yeah, and it only ever lasts oh a few seconds, and it happens a couple of times a year. But every year, people die from like roof tiles falling uh. or heart attack, and yeah. But you didn't have any Bora. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it was like the wind in the Shetland was at one point so strong that I thought I was gonna just blow my hair off. Oh my god! And I could almost <laughs> see, I could see the wind as a kind of physical, material thing in front of me. It was kind of flickering. It's quite a wow. quite transcendental experience. That would be unbelievably shocking to just lose your hair. <laughs> yeah, but I genuinely consider it because I. The Bora. <laughs> I, I had no head, so I felt like I was in danger. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I think we've like mined that tangent. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that kind of opens up a lot of the things about about the performance where you're um, inhabiting this kind of, uh, yeah, speculative, fictional situation. Um, And I I suppose I was thinking about when you're describing the fire alarm going off on this cruise Uh and and you looking out the window and looking at the kind of serene example, sort of Atlantic, Uh and I suppose as soon as that, there's that sort of change that, that position in the Atlantic becomes a very different thing. It yeah, like totally. An isolating thing, um, and and all of, all of the kind of the things that may have previously sort of made you feel like uh, like everything sort of in order, sort of makes everything feel more hysterical. And that was something that for me was really interesting in the language of the performance and the way you constructed it is that the the two performers don't necessarily become more unhinged. It's mm. just that the use of that language in the situation they find themselves in becomes increasingly <laughs> unhinged. Yes. Or untenable. Yes. Well, one of them sort of crumbles towards the end and that's when a sort of role swap occurs because the character of the director just loses their, their authority and is unable to cope with the situation. And that's when the newsreader sort of steps in and takes control yeah yeah I guess there was a flip of roles mm. and a deterioration yeah but maybe that was just of language I don't know mm. I I don't know I I've actually sort of taken the aspect of of the work mm-hmm. further since and I've been mm. making um a new performance that focused on the crumbling of a character and I, I don't know I I think that is definitely something that interested me mm. that emerged throughout the performance. Um, just how, how do you depict the sort of the solution of someone? Um, like the performance was, some of the script was slightly influenced by a, a Glamorama, which is the spread Eastern Ellis novel. Um, oh, I've read, I'm, yeah, I've not read that one. Uh, it's not very good. I <laughs> I just have a sort of. It's one of his more recent ones, right? Um, yeah, it's um, well, it's actually uh, it was published in 1999, oh. so in a sort of pre-millennium oh. uh, angst moment. Um, yeah, I I found it quite funny and fascinating, but at the same time, I am conscious that it's objectively not a great piece of writing. But it does 
uh, a really good job of just documenting um, the journey of this Ed boy of the moment who sort of gradually um, has to surrender everything in his life but doesn't really um, realise that that's, what hap that's what's happening. Like his model partner abandons him, sort of side, uh, side piece also uh, just kind of withdraws. He loses his uh, investments and whatever he's doing at the moment, like putting on uh, a club night. And he's sort of hijacked by this um, terrorist organization of international supermodels. But at this point, he doesn't even realize that this is what's happening because in his head, there's a movie being made by him. So there's a kind of a mediation, like a mediated relationship. He, always, he thinks it's like permanently on set. And there's also a kind of cruise ship travel scene, which I think is like the cusp where this character breaks. Like it's sort of, you know, the, the straw that kind of breaks his back. Mm -hmm. mm. But I guess within um, within this particular performance, it seems not so much like, I mean, yes, the two characters like break down, um, but it's more because the I think that's that it seemed more like it was something to do with the the infrastructure they were in becoming being or like moving onto shakier ground. Mm. And I guess that's that that is kind of psychological mm. within them. Um, like so, I guess they are breaking. The, well, I mean, the director certainly did kind of break down psychologically, yeah. because um, I guess the characters begin to believe in the weather forecast, in this shipping forecast, and this idea of a storm or this idea of something coming um, to stop whatever they've been doing. I mean, when I um, when, when we when we were thinking it up. Mm. One of my references and something that I'm really into is Grey Gardens. Mm. I don't know if you've watched that. No, I haven't. No, I yeah. About. Just about these two, um, this mother and daughter living in the Hamptons and they kind of live in this big house that's just totally dilapidated because um, mm. the lady's husband just kind of left with one of his mistresses and left them on a very measly allowance and they kind of just become recluses in this very wealthy part of America where everyone's kind of, you know, got the biggest mm -hmm. house that's, you know, very well painted, presented, da, 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 you know. And they just had this total, you know, abandoned kind of mansion mm -hmm. and they were just living in it for 30 years and they were having the same conversations every day. I think that's mm -hmm. the impression I get from seeing the documentaries, they're just having yeah. the same conversations every day. And I think we were quite, well, I was quite keen mm. in, the, in the script to have that feeling. Mm. They just kind of say the same things every day to each other. And maybe they just have a crisis every day or maybe they just forecast this one thing every, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this fear maybe that no one's actually listening to what they're saying. No one's watching what they're doing. Um, but they still need, they feel the need to produce something <laughs> to yeah. kind of reiterate the fact that someone must be watching. difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. You know what I mean? It's awfully difficult. I suppose I won't get out of here till she dies or I die. Who is she? This is the worst one of my wedding pictures. The others look worse. And she looked like a girl that had everything. Was that a fashion show? I thought I was in cat's pajamas in that. almost pointing into a different function of language as more of a kind of ritualistic maintenance thing rather than trying to feed any useful information or create some new content they are kind of they're just speaking to keep themselves like alive in a in a social sense so i think that definitely translated into how we approach the script mm -hmm. and the thing about that relationship is that when you first start watching the documentary it might appear as a sort of quaint but you know overall I guess harmless scenario by which they're just kind of enjoying a, an extremely secluded life mm -hmm. uh, in a rural context but then it turns out that it is also a relationship of control oh totally because I think am I right like the the daughter she she was offered a film part at one point I think yeah she was going to become but the a mother star. the mother pretty much prevented that from happening yeah um so I think in when you're taking such a close look at at something and you know, it, it's a really, it's, it's a microcosm, this relationship between the two people. 
and th- there is going to be power relations inherent in, in this scenario. Yeah, and we were interested in a dependency. Mm. Like, what is this relationship of dependency? And yeah. how does that work with crisis management? And how does that work if they, they, they exist in a world where there's no one else, <laughs> mm. I guess? Um, but yeah. Yeah, because no one's going to intervene. No. No one will come in to like, save the situation or figure out who's right. Or... And then I guess the kind of irony of it was that it was in a tiny gallery with loads and loads of people. <laughs> It's not very No, at all. Um, yeah. Which was uh, quite strange, I guess, because we'd been working on it for, what, like, three or four months? Well, quite intensely. Diff- and quite beforehand, intensely. we had, like, a lot of sort of long-distance Skype conversations, slightly more open-ended, but then we went yeah. into rehearsal and then into construction. And it felt like putting on a kind of miniature play, mm. in a way, didn't it? Yeah. Um, it would be funny. It would have been funny if, like, no one showed up. <laughs> If we somehow failed to market <laughs> this, <laughs> this event. It yeah. makes me think of um, that uh, thing I had on Channel 4, the, yeah, what's it called? Dead Set. Oh Did yeah, you know, I love that program. And it was a genius <laughs> as a, like... So um, good. As an idea. Mm. Where, where, have you seen this? No, I don't think uh, so. Oh my God, we need to watch it together. Nice. Yeah, I think you might like it. <laughs> 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 Basically what happens is it's kind of like a... It's a Big Brother kind of reality mm. TV show that it's centered around, and obviously the people inside the house are sort of cut off from the real world, mm-hmm. but they're still, you know, doing what people in Big Brother do, which is kind of perform for the audience they presume is watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the meantime, in the outside world, um, there's been a zombie apocalypse, and everybody's dead. <laughs> But they're stuck in the Big Brother house. And and sort of over the course of this... um, It's like a mini-series, right? Yeah, yeah. Over the course of the mini-series, they kind of just gradually discover that actually nobody's watching. Mm. Oh, wow. And it sort of goes through these really interesting... So interesting. What what they were in was a fishbowl, and then that kind of becomes a fortress in a way. Uh It's like just genius. (laughs) Inverted, yeah. Yeah, it's really clever. In the set, that we built, which was mm. like, there was definitely two parts to it. There was this one part that was very much, someone was seen. There was like this kind of sloping background element to it. It had this kind of TV blue painted all mm. over it. So it was very much like a pedestal for something. And then there yeah. was a kind of two-way mirror with um, a live feed showing that pedestal, a live, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a microphone to then communicate to that person. So it was kind of like, I guess that goes back to the dependency and and looking at the power mediator and the mediators exactly mm-hmm. relationship. I almost feel like there's maybe a slight issue of scale because, um, like in the space as it was, I think it was difficult for the audience to explore all the different sidelines and points of view because we built it in this warehouse that was a lot bigger, and I think if if it was to be a, a theatre performance, it'd be great to have it in a kind of large warehousey space with people on all, all four sides of, of the set so that um, like the live feed has a sort of pragmatic function and there isn't really anything because um, in, in this scenario it was pretty much the expectation that the audience would sort of stand in, in front of the mm-hmm. um, as it was recording studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I, I guess like there were a few people that were, I don't know, um, curious enough <laughs> to yeah. walk all the way around it and like discover the live feed, which I kind of quite liked mm. in a way because yeah. some people knew it was there, some people didn't, mm-hmm. um, which was a nice little, you know, for those who, who discovered it, it was quite nice. Um, yeah. But it would be great to reiterate it in a kind mm-hmm. of more theatrical context. Yeah, maybe. it'd be a different kind of challenge, Yeah, I guess. But it, it's, it always felt like since... Like st- we started talking about it, it always felt like it was just going to keep going, a bit mm. like a snowball, and yeah. just collect more and more stuff. And I think it could continue. I mean, yeah. it very much felt like it's we'd just press pause, mm-hmm. and then everyone was watching where we'd landed yeah, exactly, at that yeah. stage, which was all these things. Uh-huh. And it, I think it could quite happily we could press play and it could keep going. Yeah, and then pause it again for another. It did seem something. like almost incidental that that is the point where it just happened to stop. Yeah, because so we ran out of time. Yeah, we, we had to basically, <laughs> but yeah, we just had to finalize it. Like you know, a moment comes like maybe two yeah. weeks prior when you know, okay, this is just like 
we're shutting it down now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. As with most, uh, with quite a lot of projects, I guess that's the case. Yeah. I guess, yeah. unless you're you really good at planning. About them, but yeah. They sort of have to end. Yeah. Mm. And I don't know, was there any real dramaturgy behind it? I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, I think like the set imposed quite a lot of it. And then yeah. I think because well we were trying to keep it open, uh, who would play which character. Yeah. And at the beginning, we had three characters, a uh, presenter, director, and a producer. But then uh, we <laughs> decided to downsize it. Uh, and I think we kind of grew into our characters a little bit. So um, not necessarily our personalities, but our like we each had an own interpretation of our characters and they definitely informed how they related to each other in the piece. Mm. And they were performed so, very differently. Very differently. To each other, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if we, for example, if we had swapped at, at the last minute, I, I don't even know if that, it would have been kind of a completely different performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Or if we had actors. Mm-hmm which we thought about and then we didn't mm. have enough money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the true reason, I guess. But I guess in this scenario, because it was about two characters who are sort of isolated uh, and the focus is on their relationship, it made sense not to just like... Because in most sort of performance, like rehearsal situations, it's good to have someone to step in and just kind of shift things around and check whether it actually makes any sense to someone from the outside world. Yeah, which we That's didn't do. It's almost as if this wasn't the point. At yeah. all, yeah. <laughs> which was a bit worrying, maybe. Yeah, it was a bit worrying. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose what was interesting was that in in the narrative, they're, they're cut off. And then within the kind of built into that um, script and that scenario is is like you basically producing yourselves from within the script. Yeah. Which is quite a sort of confusing thought. Yeah. It's kind of um, yeah. I guess it, it kind of aids aids the performance in a way where you're trying to construct it as it's like rolling out in front of you. Yeah, that's. Which I suppose it's like if if hypothetically you're in the situation where you're dealing with some like unprecedented event, that's what you would be doing as a as a broadcaster. It's like a very slow version of that that took five months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's yeah. It's maybe it's like method acting. <laughs> 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 yeah, can we talk a little bit more about what the sort of um, what the kind of significance of that um, the like I suppose the narrative journey is that the the two characters kind of go through together. Do you mean um, the storyline or not? I mean, maybe it would be interest. It would be useful to start with the storyline, so everybody's going to have seen the performance. But I guess I was sort of thinking about um, what this, the things that the storyline kind of brought into certainly my head when I was watching the performance, because it sort of came at a really good time in British politics, mm. especially, mm. but also maybe in American politics too. Mm. I guess I was. I guess I was wondering like how the storyline relates in, in your heads to those kind of things, or if it does at all. I think it does as a, like a form of osmosis, like all that stuff was going on mm. and we were just like trying to let it um, inform the background of our of our like thoughts in yeah. creating it. But it, we, it wasn't, there was nothing that we kind of like said, that's about this was there or that no. hinges on that that's just happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like... I was, like, semi-obsessively reading the news during those few months, yeah. pretty much every day, so just I. as a way of getting myself out of bed and then we would discuss them. Um, but then I think it's more the sensation of having your hands tied because there's all this stuff that is incredibly worrying going on, but there isn't anything you can actually do and there might be a slight feeling of being kind of like, disempowered by the system because mm. while all this stuff was going on I was also preparing for a court appeal to do with a, a residency status mm -hmm. which I was trying to kind of put into place as a protective measure against Brexit just in case I get chucked out of this country at some <laughs> point which was and super then, intense yeah against you know like working around the subject matter we were working with uh -huh. mm. and the appeal was scheduled to be on the same exact day as the exhibition opening but at the very last minute 
the home office to send me a letter saying, don't bother, your appeal is not going to be successful. And then, kind of yeah, nuts, I just yeah. I had some more last minute news and it just, yeah, I guess it just kind of added to a sense of mounting pressure. But um, I haven't really thought about it since. Uh, somehow, like, at this point in time now, I feel more like almost licensed to be a bit detached. Like, yeah. I don't really feel the sense of obligation to keep up somehow. Yeah. I don't know, but like, it's quite hard to, well, it's not hard to keep, but it's like quite strange keeping up with the news when you, you nearly dismiss it as soon as you've read it, because mm. you just don't know and you don't kind of like, like, it's just so desensitized to it all. You, you don't have to directly care about it. Yeah, or like you do, but then it's, I don't know, so that, that was, it's tricky navigating that, I guess. And I think that was definitely something that um, was thought about when we decided to look at the shipping forecast, which is a piece of news that sounds like gibberish, mm -hmm. but means something mm. to people who know what it means. And I guess like when I was in Brazil and I found myself following um, UK news quite heavily because mm. I wasn't actually there. I was mm. just kind of somewhere else and it was a way of, you know, having mm. something familiar to like read and access yeah. and stuff. And um, just thinking it was totally nuts, obviously, what was going on with Brexit and stuff. Mm. And then um, listening to the shipping forecast sometimes when I, like before going to bed or something or just something like really soothing. <laughs> started doing that and just thinking like this is the oldest form of broadcasting and mm. it sounds totally whack like it's crazy um, unless you know what it means and what's actually happening in the news is kind of crazy um, is there some way of like taking that and applying it to this feeling or something mm. or using that as a starting point to look at sort of post-truth da, 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 mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff that's going on um, and I guess that was like our building block to start us mm -hmm. um, uh, and help us like kind of start our collaboration in a way, wasn't it? Choosing yeah. the news and the news presenter and that space as a place mm -hmm. to kind of ping from because we thought it was kind of mental and there was a lot of um, um, scope for like making it quite surreal mm. and strange. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess the interesting thing about the shipping forecast or like you may be listening to it in a like, oh, this is relaxing way is that they could be like, they could be saying something <laughs> totally. unprecedented and awful mm -hmm. is happening. Well, my favourite term was becoming cyclonic. Yeah. Whenever I heard someone say that, I'd be like, oh yeah, becoming cyclonic. But you know, that really means like mm -hmm. a, a, a number 11 storm yeah, or whatever, yeah. which is like, you know, yeah, yeah. Life deep shit. Mm -hmm. But the way they say it, as, you, as we were saying before, you yeah, know, yeah. the way they deliver it is it's so the smooth. <laughs> the BBC voice. Yeah, so I think like it was funny following politics so closely and the news while we were building it, but nearly having a kind of reaction against mm -hmm. wanting to use what was actually in the news in the piece. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to use the kind of convention of that world instead of the content of it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember... Um, I was looking into the weather forecast at the same time, but coming from a slightly different angle. Somehow, uh, it sort of related more to um, self-help and people mm. almost like wanting to, you know, the sense of reassurance that comes from having a figure of authority uh, tell you something about your future, mm. even if you don't really believe it explicitly. It's uh, kind of why people might be interested in uh, sort of horoscopes and uh, yes, I think it's really quite dangerous in a way, just like relying on someone to tell you what is the objective reality of things yeah. uh, to this extent. But I guess maybe it is just like the weather forecast. This idea is quite good as an intersection of um, an individual personal experience and a broader social landscape mm. as a common experience. Mm. And then just like profiling something that um, if you listen to the radio, or if you if you listen to Radio Four, it's just on there three times a day or whatever, mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people just kind of switch off at. I, was, I think we were both quite interested in like being like, let's make this the first thing mm -hmm. that everyone has to listen to, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah. and and see what 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 happens. I guess I guess using um, that as a 
as a starting point sort of um, gives you the it sort of makes it easier to start looking at um, like like you were saying the kind of conventions of of the wider kind of media ecology and mm -hmm. and how how they've sort of influenced so much of um, what's kind of happened totally. recently because um, yeah almost actually trying to understand the events is is kind of in some ways like a pretty hard because it seems to be getting to a point where it's like basically just random yeah or, mm -hmm. but then but then there's this other thing that's happening beneath it which is to do with the way the media deals with information which has had a huge effect on how everything's fallen out recently yeah and something like the shipping forecast is weirdly like quite a good starting point perhaps because it's so depoliticized yeah but it still contains like the same similar tropes yeah and quite like a noble th like thing like the the bbc gets set up to stop mm -hmm. people dying at sea <laughs> whereas now i'm sure like you know lots of new services and stuff don't do that really they kind of <laughs> can fuck things up <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed to say that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i guess listening to the shipping forecast and the comfort of your own kitchen is also quite non-invasive uh, you know, it's not really going to ruin your dinner or anything. Mm. But if at this time you get news about, say, Brexit or Trump, it could be quite um, quite upsetting. Or Although, em emotionally. Mm. At least, yeah. <laughs> it's threatening because these phenomena are really kind of creeping into your own life. Although, I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like 80% of news items uh, in the past year or so have pretty much been the same and it almost doesn't matter if you saw this story in November 2017, February 2018 or March 2017 or for that matter October 2016, well maybe mm. December 2016. Mm. It could be the same news item rendered at all these different points of ta in time. It's, it's just been like re repetition over repetition. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I couldn't work out if that was my my perception of it or whether that mm. was actually happening because yeah. mm. i've been trying to obviously because um both the american and the british situation affects me because uh, my family's all in america ah, and i was right. born there mm. and so i've been trying to follow both but i'm really having trouble yeah. <laughs> it's just getting, i'm just like well nothing's it seems like it's just the same like yeah so, like, somebody put all this stuff in a blender and it's just been on for, like, six months. Just God, yeah, on. totally. Slight <laughs> changes of wording at the most. Yeah, 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 precisely. And no nothing seems to sort of really, really move. No, and no it development. Was, it was funny being in Brazil when we started um, working on it because my grandmother would read the newspaper every morning. Mm -hmm. And the big political stories, of course, like, politics in Brazil terrible mm -hmm. like very corrupt very very bad situation but still the uk would have a massive section and america would have a massive section and of course there's no section over here dealing with brazilian politics even no. though it's nearly I, i'd probably say far worse <laughs> than, than the situation over here and so it was funny having those three like thinking yeah. about news and stuff and just having those three very different well, maybe the UK and American ones are quite similar, but very different sort of things going on. Mm. Whereas when you're here, it's kind of just what's going on here. Uh -huh. And you don't really go beyond that. No, no. At all. It does feel fishbowly, actually. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I guess in that sense, it's like kind of fishbowly because the rest of the rest of the world's maybe looking in, in at you, but you're just like... Yeah, totally. Oh, walls. Not More really. walls. But it's not, I mean, I guess in the same way as the two-way mirror in, in, your, in your work, it's not, yeah. it's not always for lack, of, for lack of care. It's just that the way the, way the British media, at least, mm -hmm. I can't really speak so much about the American, the way the British media is set up is, like, is very introspective anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. you really need to go and, if you really want to find out about what's happening elsewhere, you have to go and read foreign newspapers. Yeah, totally. Um, because they just there's like a world section and it's like Britain mm -hmm. takes up like four <laughs> different like cultural lifestyle politics blah 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 yeah, and then there's yeah, just like the world, the world. <laughs> yeah. terrible yeah but maybe everyone's sort of uh, you know slightly guilty of this uh, I guess egocentricism on like a large scale 
uh, in a recent news program, uh, this I think Emmanuel Roche was uh, discussing uh, the situation in Britain, and he said they don't have Macron. Well, obviously they don't. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> you don't have like, Macron. Yeah, <laughs> like the the French. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who he is. It's like yeah, obviously just, we don't. He's French. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know he meant like a Macron equivalent, but yeah. how would that even materialize in British politics? Uh-huh. Who would be like the British Macron? <laughs> <laughs> Was it Tony Blair? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> so it's already happened. Oh, that's awful, isn't God, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, I wouldn't wish down France. Yeah. No. It's after they've got it. I think so. I don't know. Isn't Macron like Tony Blair 2.0? I think a little bit. I mean, that, that's the vibe. Yeah. Re-engineered by Google. But then, like, I've only got all this information off little, like, articles that have been written or, like, reposted from I don't know who. And I don't read a newspaper and I don't... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing, like, we were, like, who are we to, like, yeah. uh, include some sort of, like, political backbone mm-hmm. to anything we do when we're really not read up on it? And part of, like... Well, maybe you are, but I'm not. But part of, like... Our interest, I think, was like letting yeah. things seep in instead yeah. of being like profiling this, profiling that. I don't know. Maybe capturing like some of a sense of hysteria and kind of helplessness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so many times it's, it's been a really serious political conversation and everyone just kind of erupts and just kind of. It's laughter. <laughs> no other way to react. Totally inappropriate, but I don't really know. It's, it's a strange mood for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, is it, I, I suppose, I wonder if it is inappropriate. I mean, yeah. it's inappropriate because it's, if, because it's like, serious. affecting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's serious, and yes, that's, they, both of those things are certainly true, but there's certainly not, or I'm not particularly getting the impression that the people who are in charge or trying to yeah. manage these situations don't, always seem to be taking it that seriously mm. no, not yeah. to sort of name any names I probably don't really have to <laughs> yeah but yeah I don't know I think when you get to that point where you feel like the people who are as you said supposed to be representing you are taking the piss so bad mm. it's, you know what why why would you be taking it seriously yeah. mm-hmm. so it's sort of already beyond the point of a kind of breakdown and I guess that's kind of how like I feel about Trump and stuff that I wouldn't take the presidency as a serious thing particularly anymore after Trump's been there that long it's like how can you take that position seriously and every time he comes up in news it's like I'm already deciding not to take whatever he says seriously just devalue it completely so (laughs) I guess I don't know I just remember a different way of thinking about it yeah a very early situation I think that was summer just after Brexit and I was in uh, Frankfurt in this gallery and somehow I got into a chat with this uh, a lady who was um, working in the gallery and she asked yeah where, where, do you, where are you staying uh, and I said uh, I think I just said Scotland which well I guess but her response was uh, oh embarrassing and we just, we just both laughed for like a minute when I mean she obviously meant just kind of the UK wide context of Brexit right. not Scotland specifically because Scotland's situation is different but mm. I just remember this like kind of slight sort of recognition and not padding but this this kind of slight hilarity in her eyes and I think it's shock maybe what I'm trying to get at mm. shock and kind of disbelief that somehow Manifest through like an increased, I don't know, sense of comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are a laughing stock, aren't we? I mean, yeah. Who I would mean. vote? <laughs> Silly. You mean Britain, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I was in uh, Leon last week. Oh, Being invited okay. by these um, these French artists, and it was really nice. But I hadn't it one of uh, there were people I hadn't really talked to in years and years and years and years since mm. way before all this stuff kicked off and and for the longest time for like three days we did not 
even address the subject. It didn't come up. It was <laughs> uh -huh. like skirted around. Um, but it finally, it finally came came up, and and it was just like, I mean, what what do you say? Yeah. So it was like, oh, what's the situation like in Britain? I, was like, I mean, I wanted to say, I don't know, but that sounded uh -huh. like a really bad thing to say. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, that was probably the best answer I could give. Yeah, I, I think that's what I'd give. I think everybody's really depressed. Totally. Yeah, what is the situation? Is there a situation? Mm -hmm. Is everyone just in denial of there being a situation? Or, mm -hmm. you know, refusing to sort of create it? That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a sort of really all-pervading sense of powerlessness mm. from from the bottom up mm. you know, I mean it doesn't really look like even the Prime Minister really has much clout with mm. anybody no. <laughs> at all which to some extent I'm fine with because I don't think he's <laughs> particularly good but it's also like you know there's uh, such a, a shift I think it's top down as well I think like the situation like on the level of the government is if influencing how everyone's feeling here because like their incompetence is just re reflecting uh like on everything i think um yeah. i think there was like a decisive um there, there, it was quite an expressive moment i think uh on a kind of grassroots social level and everyone's individual social networks but then this sort of paralysis and this passivity on the, the top level, I think it's just penetrating all of society. Mm. That. And maybe that's why we're in this weird standstill. Yeah, I mean, I guess thinking back to the performance and um, what do you, okay, okay so what, what do you think you can at least like sort of glean from this sort of all-encompassingly crap situation? What, that we created in the, this kind of relationship we had? Yeah, yeah, and and I suppose by extension. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the situation. You know, for example, in, in the song that ends the performance. Yeah. Uh, so there is elements of the shipping forecast co coming back, sort of reconstituted. So, like the way I see it is, in the first bit, we're uh, sort of responding to uh, the sort of external uh, environment um, by describing our weather findings. Then the editing process starts, um, and then towards the end we sort of fling it back at the world through this broadcast of a song. So I think there is maybe a, a more optimistic message there that it is important work to try and do this thing of piecing together fragments of meanings from the outside world, mm. and in a way we are all responsible for it. Mm. Mm. So you, are you kind of, uh, I suppose, is that maybe making an argument for this um, point of breakdown also being a point at which you can maybe work towards something different or yeah I think it's a stress better. on engagement uh, I think it's just like I think it's a dangerous thing to sort of dismiss this whole like messy standstill as you know despite what I was saying earlier about it repeating itself over and over I think it's important to like, keep doing this work of trying to uh, stay with it and then like having like knowing what your position is in this not just sort of drifting through endless water not being in control but because maybe a moment will come when it will be important what what we all individually think and what we can contribute or how what kind of meaning we can make out of it mm -hmm. so i guess just a task of kind of ongoing interpretation of events and i think the two characters position on what they were doing was quite like heartfelt and genuine. It's like what they want to do is make um, a broadcast out of what they have mm, that is yeah. like good or whatever. I mean, it starts with it being edited, mm -hmm. like crazy edited by the director because the director is just trying to search for the perfect broadcast, if that makes sense. Distilling it. Distilling it, distilling it, distilling it. So, I guess, yeah, th th there's crisis going on. There's, you know, they're in this really strange, like, terrible situation where they haven't seen anyone in ages, but they've still got mm -hmm. this thing where they're trying to make mm -hmm. some sort of meaning out of what they've got. And I guess, who knows what's been happen happening to them before? You, we see this, like, scene, and who knows what's going to be happening yeah. after. Oh, is it forever repeating? As yeah. In that kind of cycle of reading the news and then talking about it with your friends and then reading 
marginally different news and having the same conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's all important. But I suppose, I suppose, in the end, for the two, for the two characters, the, the like the, weirdly the persever the perseverance in the end produces, the something that's like really sincere. Yeah. And, uh, or, I suppose at the end it seems like they're actually communicating with each other, not yeah. just like, uh, sort of talking over each other, mm. and that's yeah, maybe maybe that's the the thing. Yeah. That I- we need. I guess they come together a bit more, don't they? Yeah, they sort of both finally kind of concede to like, we just compromise, sort of step step aside a bit and do something together, uh-huh. just to kind of reach out to to the external world in, in mm. some capacity. Yeah. But I suppose that only comes about through them dropping their formal yes. roles. Yeah. Yeah. Going through a sort of a crisis and then overcoming it. Yeah, maybe even it does actually like what happens in it is a disruption of, of hierarchy in a way and a hierarchical relationship. So maybe it does have an ultimately positive outcome. Yeah. Now the weather reports from coastal stations for Tuesday, automatic northwest four miles. Stored away west by south wind, recent rain four miles. 1011, rising more slowly. Lowick, west by north 5, recent rain, 6 miles, 1004, now rising. Brick automatic, west 4, recent rain, 5 miles, 1008, rising more slowly. Aberdeen, south by east 2, 27 miles, 1010, now rising. Lucas, west by south 5, 22 miles, 1011, 40. Boomer, southwest by west 4, 27 miles, 1014, falling more slowly. Bridlington, southwest by west 3, 1019, 40. Fandetti Light Automatic, west by north 4, 11 miles, 1026, rising slowly. St. Catherine's Point, automatic, west 3, 1026, falling slowly. Jersey, south, southwest 1, west, 1027, falling slowly. Channel Light Vessel, automatic, southwest 3, more than 27 miles, 1028, falling slowly. Silly automatic, west by south 4, 24 miles, 1028, Falling more slowly. Milford Haven, west by south 5, 14 miles, 1024, falling more slowly. Aberforth, southwest 4, recent rain, 11 miles, 1024, falling more slowly. Valley, southwest 5, south recent, 22 miles, 1024. Liverpool Crosby, southwest by south 3, east of 22 miles, 1021, falling in the south. Valencia, southwest by south 3, east of east of 3 miles, 1023, falling in the south. Ormsway, west southwest 5, east of Valley, 7 miles, 1019, falling. And head west southwest 5.
occasional rain at times, still occasional nuggets of sun. Thank you for being cool and get through. Stay well and stay safe.